What's up, y'all? This is Preston Payne, chef and restaurateur. If you want to be empowered to chase your potential and live a life that makes a positive impact, you've got to listen to The Qualified with my buddy Ryan Huff. This is The Qualified. The Qualified. The Qualified. The Qualified. The Qualified with Ryan Huff. What's going on, Qualified family? Hope you're having an amazing day as always. And welcome back to The Qualified, where the ultimate goal is to empower you to chase your potential and live a life that makes a positive impact. First of all, y'all, hope you're having an amazing day. Second of all, thank you so much for listening. If you are new to this podcast, the reason this podcast is called The Qualified is because I believe we are all qualified to make a difference with the life that we've been given, right? We are all the qualified. However, just because you have potential, just because you have the capability to go out and do something great with your life, doesn't mean that you don't have to put in the work, right? That's why in this show, we discuss topics, ideas, strategies, things I've done in my life, as well as things of inspiring guests that they've done in theirs that have helped to make a change. And my hope is that something we say, something we say, something we say is the catalyst to get your butt off the couch and starts doing things to get make that difference into a reality right? Because there's no such reality as something for nothing. You still have to do the work. Talk by itself is not enough. Talk, if you just, I was listening to Andy Versella's podcast just recently. He talk, said talk equals misery, right? However, actions equals results. Actions equal things you can actually be proud of. Actions equal happiness. Taking action and relying on yourself, knowing that you're someone that you can rely on and have confidence in, that's where the power is is, but you got to believe that you're qualified for it. You got to believe that you have the ability to do it. Then you got to take action on a consistent basis. Cause I firmly believe this, this is another quote from Andy as well. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, but one of the things that I got from him as well is that I know to be true in my life. And I'm confident, you know, this to be true in your life is that it is going to be impossible for you to feel great about yourself. If you're performing at a level that's underneath what you know, you're capable of performing at. I know that's true in my life, and I'm confident you know that to be true in your life as well. So that's why this podcast is here, to hopefully be the catalyst for positive change in your life, know you're qualified for more, and start making that difference into a reality. Y'all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening. I am super dang pumped for this episode today, you guys. I have my friend Preston Payne on the episode today. He is a restaurateur and a world-class chef, and I am just elated to have him on this show. Um, he is a uh, got connected through um, a good friend of mine, Chandler Crumblish, and um, that's how we got connected, man. And so I'm elated to share his story of uh, of him working at this amazing restaurant, apparently the best restaurant in the world, 11th and Madison Park. And uh, when, to give you an idea of how incredible this restaurant is, the weight that they have to just get into the restaurant, reservations and such, are sometimes three years in advance, right? And uh, the clientele that has been there has been celebrities, princes of you know Middle Eastern countries, and all kinds of jazz. And so, anyways, it's a pretty you know it's celebrities, presidents, all those kinds of stuff. So it's a pretty elite clientele, and just the amazing level of attention, the detail that goes into. This company is incredible. So he was a chef there, but also he's a restaurant man himself. He opened up his own uh, place with some friends recently. And it's just really been incredible. He's actually lived an incredible life and he's only 27 years young. So, so a lot, so a lot of potential left in the tank. And uh, I'm excited to share his story with y'all. But before we do, guys, I got to remind you, this podcast is absolutely free. If you've been listening to this show for any period of time, whether it's this is your first time listening, thank you so much. But if you've been here for a little bit, 
and you feel that we're deserving of it, I would highly appreciate, greatly appreciate you leaving a five-star review, you know, and sharing the show. That's the only fee that we're going to charge for that. We don't, we don't run ads. I'm not going to run ads in this show. However, if you do get value out of this podcast, I just ask that you tell someone about it. Let someone else know that you got to, that you got to value out of it, you know, share this episode out or any other episode that you've listened to that you've gotten value. It's helped improve the quality of your life. It inspired you, got you thinking, whatever it is, made you laugh, whichever it is, share it out. And if you didn't enjoy it, if you didn't have fun, then don't share it out. You know, don't, there we go. But anyways, <laughs> so there's that. Second thing is y'all, I got to tell you about qualified apparel. Just today, we actually passed 60,000 meals for families in America, which is absolutely insane because that's potentially 60,000 people that we've been able to help because of qualified apparel. That is absolutely amazing. So I got to thank you, the qualified family for supporting us um, in that endeavor. We're actually on our way. We're aiming to break 100,000 meals by year's end. And I got to tell you that every one item purchase provides 20 meals. Actually, sorry, every one item purchase now because of COVID, we've actually doubled the impact because of more people that are needing hunger and needing meals and whatnot, or dealing with hunger and needing, needing support, I should say that we've actually doubled that impact from every, so that every one item purchase now provides 40 meals for families in America. So if you're looking to do Christmas shopping or looking to do custom printing for your business, we do that as well. And we love to support you and love to serve you, but not only that, to change lives, inspire happiness and make a difference together. So if you wanna know more about that, link for that is in the description. Y'all, let's get into this episode today. Episode number 99 with my friend, Preston Payne. Y'all, enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to The Qualified. Y'all, I am elated for today's guest. Say it every single time. It's this tradition at this point to say it. But y'all, I have a world-class chef in the building, an entrepreneur, a businessman, super dedicated to his craft, and just at the ripe young age at, you're only like, what, 25, 26? 27. I'm 27. getting old, Ryan. Just a, just a young... I'm getting old, a young man. Thundercat. I am. I'm feeling it, too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, y'all, I have the pleasure of introducing Mr. Preston Payne to the Qualified. What's going on, my man? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, um, ever since you got me turned on to the podcast, I was I was super excited to get the invitation to come join you. Uh, I've caught up on a couple of episodes and, and really love what you're doing. Super excited to have the uh, the opportunity to sit down with you today and, and kind of talk about the, the the trajectory that I've taken in my career and, and um, just some of the opportunities I've been I've been blessed and fortunate enough to have over the last couple of years. Yeah, man, really excited. Yeah, it's gonna pumped. be a blast, dude. Yeah, I'm looking pumped. forward to it, dude. Before we get started, though, let's go ahead and open up with a quick word of prayer. Then we'll get this thing popping. Father God, thank you so much for this amazing day. And Lord, for bringing us together through our mutual, well, my mutual friend, his girlfriend, through Chandler Crumblish. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would bless this conversation and that ultimately people's lives would be changed. People would be empowered to chase their potential and live a life that makes a positive impact. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, dude. So tell us quickly just, uh, or not quick, or how long you would take, but basically tell us, you know, where you're from, um, you know, what, uh, you know, what, what career you're doing at the moment and, uh, yeah, just some background about yourself. Sure. So, uh, I was born and raised in Dallas, grew up here in Dallas, Texas, um, went to Jesuit, played football at Jesuit. And, um, while I was going through high school and kind of really before that too, I think I started cooking when I was eight. Um, I had a housekeeper growing up that, that spent, all of my childhood with us. She, she did everything for us, and, and she's a family member. She's a grandmother figure to me. Her name is Chella. Uh, really, really incredible cook, and um, she's kind of what got me into, into cooking, and, and I was 
lucky to eat her cooking for, for a very long time. And in turn, uh, I inevitably became an offensive lineman at, at a couple hundred pounds after eating, <laughs> after eating her food for so long. Uh, I sure. found myself as an offensive lineman at Dallas, uh, Dallas Jesuit. And, and like I said, uh, played football there and had the opportunity to continue playing football at the collegiate level. Um, and it was a tough decision for me. Like I, I knew that I was going to be a chef. I knew that I was going to be in the restaurant industry. And at that time, I didn't really know which facet or which avenue I wanted to take to get there. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take advantage of the opportunities that I had to continue playing football at the collegiate level. But you played at SMU, is that right? I played at Tulane oh. in, in yeah, New Orleans. Close enough, um, yeah. <laughs> so almost rival, so that's a little insulting. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the heck with the staying. When, I, when, I, yeah. when I chose the school that I wanted to go to, knowing that I was going to, to be in the restaurant industry at, at some point in my life, I wanted to choose a school that was in a food-centered city mm. uh, that also had a great business program because I knew that if I wasn't going to go to culinary school, I might as well get a business degree to learn how to run a business properly. So when it came time for me to open up my own restaurant, uh, I had that background. So I chose Tulane because it's in New Orleans, mm. one of the best food cities in the country. I just think that the, the history there and, and just the culture behind what they eat and what they do is, is really special. So I chose Tulane. Uh, played football there, got my degree in business development, and after I graduated, graduated in 2015. When I graduated from Tulane, I moved back to Dallas, and I worked for a restaurant management development company here, designing restaurant concepts and writing menus for, I think at the time we had 38, 42 properties across the country, somewhere wow. around there. So spent time with them, uh, helping further develop the, the concepts that they had and, and continued writing menus for their existing properties. And who were some of the people that y'all made menus for? So we didn't have we didn't have a single property in Dallas. We were right. based here in Dallas, but we didn't have a single property here. Uh, some of the more notable properties that, that I got to help open uh, was Mary Soul in Chicago. They uh, they were on the Michelin the Michelin Guide. The uh, what's another good property? Esker Grove in Minneapolis. Both of these are, are in um, art museums. The okay. Mary Souls at the Museum of Contemporary Art. Oh, wow. And uh, the Esker Grove is at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis. So really cool to be able to see the cultural side of things while opening a restaurant. And, and we were able to kind of take a lot of inspiration from the art installations. And uh, the, we named Mary Soul after one of the, one of the sculpturists that had a, had, a, had a display up in the museum at the time. And uh, it was fun to be able to kind of play off of some of the artistic renderings that, that some of the artists that traveled through some of these restaurants, or yeah. I'm sorry, through the museums. It was fun to be able to take those pieces of art and, and try to find a way to translate that into food. Uh, so it was a lot of fun, but we, we spent a lot of time in cultural centers and museums. Mary Soul, Mary Soul in Chicago, Esker Grove in Minneapolis, um, both of which were, were you know, James Beard watch lists and, and Michelin guides. And, and um, those were two of my favorites. And we also had another property in Minneapolis called Sea Change, which was a sustainable seafood restaurant that we, we spent a lot of time developing relationships with seafood uh, distributors and, and fishermen and, and local dock workers uh, from all over the country to make sure that the fish we were getting were sustainably raised. Mm. And it's something that I became really, really passionate about. And, and, and we'll talk about it in a little bit later, just in terms of my future, but it really did help. It, it, it helped shape the way that I want to end up cooking when it's time for me to open up my own restaurant. And mm. I think sustainability is something that I really want to want to play a big focus on my property whenever I get to that point. Yeah. Um, so having the, having the chance to kind of learn more about the sustainability and just the sustainable farming and fishing uh, was a lot of fun. And, and I was very fortunate to, to get to work for them for a couple of years. But I realized that sitting behind a desk just wasn't for me. I just couldn't do it anymore. I, um, 
was just getting too bored. You know, I, 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 being a football player and being an athlete growing up, I, I love staying active. And, and, and this is during your time in New Orleans at that. So this was this was this was the uh, the management company was here in Dallas. So after oh, I sorry. graduated, after I graduated oh, yes, yes. from Tulane, I moved back and I worked here, and uh, loved it. And like I said, I'm I'm very fortunate to, to to have the chance to to work for such a great company, and I learned so so much just in terms of proper kitchen management and design and, and making sure that all the smallwares were ordered. Uh, I, I learned so much in getting a restaurant up and off the ground because it was a full service management company. We would take an idea from just a concept on paper and we would open up the existing, or we would open up a property wow. and being able to see that come to fruition from just an idea was always a lot of fun and really rewarding for me. And so I did yeah. learn, what I learned from them was invaluable and I don't think I'd be where I'm at now without having the chance to, uh, to, to see it firsthand and, and get to do so so early. Uh, I loved it though, but I, I worked for them for two years and like I said, realized that just being behind a desk, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just too bored and uh, left my corporate job and I traveled the world for a year. I, I knew that I wanted to continue cooking and I wanted to continue cooking at a high level. And one thing that interests me most about about food is just how much change and how how different food is from country to country, not even country mm. to country, just town to town. Yeah. It, it's, it's, there are so many distinct differences. And, you know, if you look at Spanish cuisine or if you look at African cuisine, just the use of different spices and techniques can differ so vastly from just, you know, five or six miles away from each other. It was always really cool for me to read about and I wanted to see it firsthand. So I, I left the corporate job, traveled for about a year, went to 36 countries over the course of a year. This was in 2018. And uh, worked on private yachts while I was doing that. Did the uh, did the private yachting thing for about six months. And then, how did you get involved with like? How did you know where to start? Whenever you started traveling, or how did you get in? You know, where'd you where'd you start? Like, when you were I, like, all right, I'm done with the private with working behind a desk. Like, I so so my dad after he graduated from college, he kind of did the same thing. He backpacked okay. through Europe with his with his brother and a couple oh, of wow. his friends. Okay, and they didn't really have an agenda. They didn't really have an itinerary. And that's kind of always you know I've I've been fortunate growing up to to have the head. I've had had the opportunity to to travel to some really cool places. And, and whenever my family would travel, we never would draw out an itinerary. We would never try to come up with, you know, at, at 12.15 we have lunch here. And then at 2 o'clock we have this tour. And then now we have to go there. And we just kind of let it, let we just let things happen. And that was my favorite way to travel. And I, like I, I kind of wanted to take the same approach to traveling the world. Right. Um, I think when I first decided to do it, I didn't think, I didn't think it would become... I didn't plan on traveling for a full year. I knew that I wanted to get out there and there were a couple of countries that I wanted to see and just some things that I wanted to do and check off my list before I, I really settled down. I didn't think I'd be gone for a year though. And it started in Croatia when I was working for some of the, for some of the boats out there. It's a beautiful, beautiful country for those of you who have the opportunity to get out there. It's really, really special. Um, started in Croatia, spent time in Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, Italy, and Portugal was, uh, those were, those were our, our main ports mm -hmm. throughout the yachting season. So spent quite a bit of time there uh, for probably four or five, six months. And after the really busy season for yachting, me and, I mean, at one point, 30 of us that I had met along the way all traveled together. I mean, we met up in Amsterdam four, day, four or three months after the end of the busy season. We all met up in Amsterdam and there were probably right. 45 of us that we had gotten to know over the years or right. over the over the six months that that all got back together to, to reconnect just to see where everyone else had yeah, been. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, at some time, at some point I was traveling by myself and others, like I said, I was with 40 other people, but uh, I got to check off 36 different countries around the country, around the world, uh, every continent except Antarctica, which was really cool for me. That's excellent. Um, it was incredible. It was a really, really unique opportunity. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's so humbling to see 
how different and you know like i said how what really drove me to get out there was just to find those differences in food right but just being able to see how different you know landscapes are and just dialects and just the people themselves that inhabit places i didn't think i'd ever get the chance to see was really rewarding and it was it was a, it was a blessing for me to get out there and see these things yeah and one Did thing that i've learned say it again i was going to say would you have a favorite country that you it's so visit? tough I, I i think that i can't narrow it down to one I, I really loved my time in Japan. I just think the dedication to, I think the way that they dedicate themselves to whatever their profession is, is really inspiring, mm. regardless of what it is. I've never seen a clean, it was the cleanest country I've ever been to. Really? They were so respectful. Um, they were a little brash, not as welcoming as I would have thought. But at the same time, they're very prideful people. And, and it was kind of a weird time for me to get there. It was like Japan. It was, I, I forget what the, what the holiday was, but it was um, some liberation of, of like, you know, American, like w w whatever it was. It was a weird time for me to be there as an American. Um, but I loved, I loved my time there. It was really, really cool. And, and, and I never once, you know, felt out of place, but it was just, right. I kind of felt wrong being there at the time that I was, sure. um, for, for whatever reason time. it was, yeah, for sure. whatever reason it was, it sure. was like, I, it was just, it was weird, but I, I really, really loved my time there because of how clean it was and just how, how dedicated they are to whatever they find themselves doing. And the food itself is just really, really special. It's so, so clean. Um, very minimalistic. There are very few, there's, there's very few manipulation to majority of the food that they eat there, which I thought was really cool, especially coming from, from a background where, you know, modernist cuisine for a while was how many different preparations of one item could you put onto a plate. And, and so when you say clean, you're talking about like the preparation. It's, it's just very minimalistic. Yeah. Like, you know, nice. I, I think, I think one of my favorite meals that I had while I was traveling was at a sushi restaurant there. Um, and it's just like, you know, when you think about that, it's like you think of French cooking and you think about how much technique goes into it and, and how many different ingredients are used. And, and just the preparation of one dish is really, really intricate and detailed and, 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 um, really labor intensive. And then you look at something like sushi where it's rice and a piece of fish. Like how could that really, how could that be as good as you would want it to be um, without really having anything done to it? And it was probably the, I think, I think it was a top three. It was a top three meal that I had while I was traveling really? was just the sushi in Japan That's because awesome. of how minimalistic it was. And I didn't think that just rice and just fish could taste the way that it did. Sometimes less is more. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And it was, and it's, you know, especially <laughs> coming from Texas. That's, that's what I wanted. Right. <laughs> For um, sure. But, but Japan was up there. New Zealand is, is, oh man, New Zealand is the most beautiful place that I got to see. You did do the Nevis swing. Is that right? I, it, like I hated said. it. What? I hated it. Dude, it looks so much fun I though. I hated it. No, no, I, I, for those for those who do not know, I am six foot four, two hundred and thirty five pounds. I'm too big to be swinging that high up off the ground. <laughs> two hundred and forty pounds of twisted steel and sex it appeal, is, baby. It is too much for me. <laughs> and uh, I got up there. I was attached. I was attached to the harness, and uh, looked over the edge, and I was like, "No, no, nope. no, I'm not doing it." <laughs> and uh, the guy behind me was like, "No, man, you you paid for it, man. Like you got it. You got to go." And I looked at him. I was like, "I'm not." I'm not jumping, and they just pushed me off the platform. My man, and it I was love terrible. That. It I was love it. so bad. Uh, we did the, We did the swing, and then we also did the bungee jump that dunked us in the um, in the glacier runoff. Really, which was which was insane, and, and both of which I, I really hated. Uh, I, I was miserable the whole time, uh, and I was just so angry when I got pushed off the edge. I was just I wanted to go back up there and just talk to that man. But right? They wouldn't let me. They're like, No, no, no. You have to. You'd have to. You'd have to go. You'd have to pay again if right. you wanted to go see him. That's like, I'll pay. Funny. I'll pay to go talk right. to this man. I'll, 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 I'll talk to him, him right now. How much? I'll go talk to him right now. Um, but New Zealand was gorgeous, and we did some. We, we had a lot of fun there. 
Uh, Morocco was really special because it was the most, I felt like it was the most different from anything that I had, I was accustomed to. Mm. So I felt the most, not uncomfortable, but most out of place in Morocco because of how different culturally things were. Um, like in what way? Like what was like we traveled, we were in, we were in Morocco with, with, um, there were six of us in Morocco, three of which were girls and just the approach to our day-to-day activities that the women had to take in order to be safe there was, was crazy. Really? Um, it's not a, it's not a safe country to travel in, um, as a solo female and, uh, having to travel, not having to getting the chance to travel with, with three girls in Morocco was really eye opening to, to see how, how different it still is in terms of, of, um, I guess sexual, it's just, it's just the acceptance of, of, of women there is just way different than I was accustomed to. And it was yeah. something that, you know, having three younger sisters, I didn't really know. I didn't think things could be like that, but, but it was, it was the most out of place in terms of my daily life that I was I able to see. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was wild. Um, not to say that it's wrong or, or, or it's right, but it, it was so different from anything that I had ever seen or ever, ever thought I'd see. And, right. and, uh, it was eye opening, but I, sure. I loved it there. And I, and I learned so much about the culture and about the people and, and, um, the group of six of us, we never, we never once felt out of place or, or, or felt, uh, felt unsafe. We were, we were pretty welcome there the whole time and, and only there for a couple of days because we were in, we were in Spain at the time and it was like a, you know, hour and a half ferry ride to get to Morocco. So we were really? like, Oh, what are we doing this afternoon? No plans. Oh, we should get an Airbnb in Morocco. So let's go to a different continent. And we did jumped on a ferry and like, you know, went over to Morocco, spent three days there or five days there, however long we were there. And that's neat. And, uh, jumped back on the ferry and went back to Spain and Portugal. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was incredible. It was the most in terms of personal development, spiritual development, and, and just professional development. 2018 will always be the most important year of my life just mm. because of what I learned and what I saw and who I met. And there's so many things that, that go into that year that make it so important to me and my growth, uh, that it really, it was just, I mean, it was, it was the perfect year for me. And, and like obviously it had, it, it had, it had its ups and downs. And, and I think, of course. I think the reason that it was so important for me was I feel like there were very few downs. Um, I feel like everything just kind of played out the way that they were supposed to. And I didn't really have a plan going into it. Like I said, like we started in Croatia and I plan on being there for the busy season of the yachting, you know, of the yachting season. And I was just going to come back to the U S afterward, but, um, you know, ended up staying there and traveling for, you know, eight additional months that I didn't plan on doing. Um, and just the way that things worked out and me able you just me being able to support myself through the money that we made in the private yachting season and, and being able to do it without really having to worry about what our next plan was, was really fun for me. And it was kind of, you know, we'd look online and we'd scroll through Instagram and be like, wow, that place is beautiful. Where is that? It's like, oh, it's a six hour flight. Like, well, let's book them now. And like, you know, we would just, we would go wherever we felt drawn to go. And I, I think that having my heart pulled toward different countries and different places was, was really fun to see what made me, I mean, the more that I traveled, the more that I learned. And the more that I learned, the more I realized how little's actually out there or how little I actually know about what's out there. Sure. Um, and just seeing some of the places that I got to see, I, I never would have thought certain things existed. And nothing really comes to mind in terms of concrete examples of that. I was just, I saw things that I didn't even know were out there. That's excellent. And it's, it's, it's really humbling to, to find surprise in something that you weren't expecting. Mm. Um, and so I just think 2018 was, was really full of that, was just full of surprises and full of, full of unexpected pleasures and unexpected, uh, at times it felt like gifts that were, that were given to me by somebody who had put me on that path. And, right. and uh, 
it was just, it was a great year. It was really important to me. And I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about the cook that I want to be and, and the kind of relationships that I want to continue building with people and the relationships that I was fortunate to build with the people that I traveled with. Right. It was just, um, I mean, it was as, as close to perfect as I could have, as I could have hoped for, yeah. uh, for a full year, which is, which is crazy to say, you know, everybody has, has those years of turmoil and there's always those ups and downs regardless of, of, you know, what time you find yourself in, but, but having a year that was almost carefree and was really painless was, was special. And I didn't think I'd, I didn't think I'd find it as easily as I did Good for you, man. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, it was great. So basically the favorite memory of it was just the entire year really just like, yeah, experiencing I, so I couldn't, growth and everything. I couldn't pinpoint, you know, if, if you wanted me to give you a, a, a top 50, <laughs> I, I don't think I could because there were just too many important points and too many important discoveries and too many important, you know, late night beach walks and just like too, too many things that happened over the course of a year that played such an important role, like I said, in, in, in my growth that I couldn't pinpoint 50. I couldn't pinpoint 100 things that really made that much of a difference. It's just everything kind of culminated in one close to perfect year. Right. I love that. Yeah. Well, remember going back to the uh, yachting thing, there was one thing that was really neat. So you were working with a team on a, um, on a group of private yachts, mm -hmm. like going from one to the other. There was yep. one thing that you mentioned. It was, it was fun. There was, you were in, it was a guy who was either from South Africa or you're, or y'all were in South Africa. One or the other. Yeah. But he was a South African astronaut. Is that he right? was an astronaut. Yeah. It's, it's, he it's was uh, going in that story about like he and his wife, what they would do with the picture thing. Yeah. They, they, I, I remember him telling me that, that they would, so cool. um, yeah, he was, he was South African. His wife was, uh, um, was English, I believe. And, uh, when he started doing some of these space missions, he would take a picture out of the out of the out of the the spaceship whenever he was above where his wife was supposed to be, and she would take a picture of the sky above, and whenever they would get back, they would compare what those pictures looked like. And I just thought that story was crazy that, yeah. that you know that far apart. Um, but the amount of love that they had was, you know, just at the time inseparable, but it feels, you know, thousands of miles. I don't know how high up the spaceship was, but right. thousands of miles away. Uh, being able to just have that connection with somebody, I think, was was really inspiring. And I think it, it's uh, it's something that, that I would love to have. And I, it's something that I really I, I want and I, I need. And, and um, it was just such a cool story to hear hear them both talk about it and hear them have two different perspectives of the same thing thousands and thousands of miles away and they showed me the pictures and they're incredible That's amazing. like it was so, it was so cool to, to to see that and and hear that story um you know going back to the going back to the neva swing though i would hate going to space <laughs> i could not do that i couldn't and just like it was it's just some of the pictures of inside the inside the spaceship that he showed me it was just like was insane. Oh, I bet. It was insane. Gosh, like it sounded that would terrible. be such a beautiful view of the Earth, though, man. Yeah, I, yeah. Some of the some of the pictures, and he, rightfully so, had a had an incredible camera that he took up there with him. Well, and some of the pictures yeah. that he was able to take were just insane. I bet. Insane. Yeah. yeah, but it's um, it's crazy, and it makes you just feel. It just makes you feel so small. I was about to say, yeah. So so small, especially when you. I mean, when you see it from that perspective, and I, and I I wish that I had the guts to ever do that but i could like it's just that's too much for you, me you could i don't you know could if that's you wanted too, that's to. too much for me you mentioned like feeling so small and like you know whenever you were traveling there's so much in the world that you know you, you have an experience and what i remember whenever i went to uh the grand canyon i mean obviously this is different from that but like i we went to the grand canyon but the kind of the principle is the same i was sitting there looking at you know the i forget where i was i think the south room of the grand canyon just looking out over it and that same feeling just kind of was like man like i'm 
hardly I'm like I'm I'm nothing in this big it's crazy. This huge yeah. world that we have. It, yeah. it was it was it was a humbling experience. It's also like wow, this is amazing. You yeah, know? it is. I mean, it's it, it's such a cool feeling to feel like that. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're when you're on. And I don't know, like I was at, when I first went out there, like I didn't know anybody when I was when I was going to Croatia. I didn't know anyone that was going to be there. Wow. I went out there solo. I, I had I had no idea who I was going to meet. I had no one solo. No one meeting so me fun. there. Yeah. And and the relationships that I was able to build will, will last me a lifetime. But, you know, getting out there, I think embracing the uncomfortability for me was the most important part about being able to fully accept the full year that I hadn't planned. Right. Um, During this time as well, didn't you do some work like photography work with GoPro or something like that? Yeah. So uh, GoPro was GoPro was was generous enough to to send me some some pretty cool gear and uh, documented some some of the really crazy stuff that we were able to do while we traveled. They uh, we we were able we went we spent some time in Indonesia and, and Bali is you know you asked me earlier what some of my favorite places that I got to travel to were I think Bali Indonesia is is, is if I really had to give you one place that I loved more than others. I think Bali would be it. Yeah. Uh, we spent time there and we did some, we did some awesome surfing and we got to go scuba diving with these manta rays. And, um, what we saw down there was insane and, and I feel terrible for doing it, but I put the wrong housing on my GoPro and <laughs> at the depth that we were at when we were scuba diving, the housing wasn't able to support the pressure underwater oh, no. and so I thought I was filming this incredibly <laughs> like it's a beautiful it's like this really ornate um, mating ritual where oh, wow. these 14 foot wide manta rays swim tail to tail in a big loop to loop underwater and they do it for like five minutes and it's it's like very rare to catch on camera really and we caught ourselves right in the middle of it Wow. And I turned my GoPro on and I was like, GoPro is going to lose it right. when they see this footage. <laughs> <laughs> and I got back up to the boat and I was like, guys, you've got to check this out. It's like I'm right in the middle of the circle. Like this footage is perfect. And I, I took my GoPro out of its housing, housing and one of my buddies was like, is that Preston? That's for 15 meters. We were at 45. And I was like, no. Oh no. And I turned nope. my GoPro back on and I had zero footage from the dive. We're down there for two hours. We just were down there for, for, for a long, long time. And yeah. we got some really incredible footage of a lot of different wildlife that was down there. That's amazing. And, uh, was able to capture none of it, none of it. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was great. Oh, it's all up here. Yeah. Exactly. But we, but, but man, was it beautiful. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great to have the opportunity to, to carry something around like a, like a GoPro like yeah. that and just have the, have the chance to meet some of the people that they put in my path as well was really cool. And, and some of the other people that I traveled with that also had, had that GoPro connection. Um, they, they were fortunate to get some, some pretty cool footage and there's a guy, um, hopefully, hopefully he'll, he'll check out the podcast. His name is Chris Rogers okay. and, uh, he's got, he's got some incredible stuff on YouTube really? and, uh, he's got a video from Bali a couple years ago that has some of the manta rays on there. And if you, uh, if you ever have the chance to check out his footage, it is incredible. Another South African guy and, um, got the chance to spend some time with him and some of the footage that he's able to create and capture is, is really, really special. I think he's probably in terms of, in terms of just overall, just, just the photography that he does and the editing that he does and the videography that he's able to capture is, I don't think there's anybody else in the world right now that's doing as, as, as cool of things with a GoPro as Chris is, and really? some of his footage is just insane. Um, Chris and like Rogers, I said, yeah, right? Chris Rogers. Okay. Uh, I think it's R O G E R S, okay. no D. Um, and his his videos from Bali are just crazy. They're just insane, and it's like that's excellent. Yeah, that for me was was 
I mean, it was it was perfect there. The weather was awesome. The beaches are beautiful. The waters, it's just, it was such a great country. Yeah, man. So hospitable. Probably yeah. the most hospitable country that I got to go to. They were so welcoming and, and they loved having us there and some of the stuff that they showed us. It was, was it was a lot of fun. Bali was, Bali was special. I bet. It was cool. Yeah. I've heard, I've seen the pictures that you showed me from there were just like, yeah. good. It's grief. crazy. And it, yeah. it's, it still seems, I mean, it's so unadulterated there and it's just so, a lot of it feels just so untouched to some of the, some of the, the modern destructiveness that you can find elsewhere. It sure. kind of has, has not really, hasn't reached Bali yet. You know, obviously there's like, I, I forget the name of the, the part of, the part of Bali, but there are different parts of the island and we spent our time at, in uh, Chenggu. But there is, you know, like there's a, there's like an uh, Omnia, which is like a nightclub in Vegas. They built an Omnia on a cliffside, like in one of the, one of the resort towns or one of the resort cities of Bali, but a majority of the island is still like super low key, all surfers, just people that I've never been around more people that just enjoy life than I did when I was in Bali. Really? Just everybody there just to be so, they were so genuinely happy. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much was it just was, I did not have a care in the world while I was there. It's also incredibly inexpensive. It's like a quarter for a beer. Really? Um, it's so, so cheap there. So that helped as well. It's kind of like Thailand, I guess. Huh? It, it was cheaper than Thailand. Really? Yeah, Bali wow. was cheaper than Thailand. Um, Bali, was, Bali was probably the cheapest country that I got to go to. But it was, it was cheap, cheap there, um, which was we were able to live like kings for a few dollars a day, which was insane. And I like that. Yeah. Just to just to be like we we rented motorcycles and just drove them all over the island. And we took uh, took a ferry to some of the surrounding islands. Nusa Limbongong is is one of the islands that's off the coast of Bali. It's about a two hour ferry ride, um, and it's just I mean it's gorgeous there. The landscape there is just it's it's picturesque and it's 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 picture perfect. Some of the pictures I've showed you were from that island. Yeah, but Bali was Bali was insane. It was so nice. That's awesome. Yeah, man. it was crazy. Yeah, it was very wild. Cool. So you go from, so you have, you know, you're working behind the desk, you go travel the world for a year, kind of unexpectedly, you have your amazing growth that you experienced, you know, holistically in 2018. And then, so after, like, at what point were you just like, all right, time to go back home? And then, like, at what time did you end up transitioning back home and then kind of going into the, you know, 11th and Madison Avenue that we're about to get into? As, as cliche as it sounds, there was no real, there was, there was nothing that, that really prompted you to prompted me to go home. It just kind of felt like the right time. And I think we were in, I think I was in Belgium at the time and it just kind of, were you eating waffles? I was, I ate a lot of waffles there. Uh, I also ate a lot of French fries. They've got really good French fries there. Really? Yeah. They've got really good fries in Belgium. Um, ate a lot of French fries. They only, they don't, they don't serve ketchup. They don't, you can only have, you only get mayonnaise. No ketchup. What? Yeah. You dip your fries in mayonnaise. Interesting. That's like, that's a European thing. Okay. Yeah. Like if you ask for tomato sauce, you're like, mm, Huh. Mm. They have mustard there, though. Yeah. Okay. Good. Mustard's way better than it is here. The mustard, the mustard in Germany when I was at Oktoberfest was the best. I tried to find it on Amazon, but I can't find it. It's the it's the best mustard I've ever had. I took a picture on it. It was I took a picture of it on my phone because it was so good. Really. I took a picture of the bottle and I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna ever see this again, but if I do, I'm gonna buy a case of it. <laughs> it's like the it was the best mustard I've ever had. Like it was it was I don't know why it was so good, but they were like, oh yeah, that's the cheap stuff, and I was like, I don't care how much it costs. I don't care if it's the nicest stuff you have. I'm gonna right. buy a case of this. Like right. it was just the best mustard. I had ever had, and I'll probably never have it again unless I go back to back to Munich. Well, yeah, now um, you have a reason. But yeah, I, I there was nothing that prompted me to come home. I just kind of felt like it was the right time, and, and some of the friends that that I'd been traveling with for a long time had had other opportunities to to go back to work, and and 
you know, flights were cheap from where I was and it was just the right time for me to come back and mm-hmm. flew home. I was in Dallas for, was in Dallas for a couple of weeks. I think I got back in, I think it was maybe November. I forget when I got back, but I got back and, and was at home and kind of tried to figure out what the next step for me was. And I knew that I didn't want to get back behind a desk and continue designing restaurant concepts and writing menus. I knew that I wanted to be in a kitchen full time. And after traveling to some of the, some of the greatest food cities in the world, I, I knew that for me in the U.S., I had to move to New York. So I moved up to New York. I, uh, there, was a, there was a buddy of mine who was planning on opening a restaurant and, and wanted me to come up there and help him open it. Things fell through and, and wasn't able to get get the restaurant open with him and, and was kind of looking for another opportunity and, and decided that if I was going to do something, I really wanted to do it at the highest level and, and decided to apply for a job at 11 Madison Park and um, applied for a job there, went in for what's referred to as a stage and you go in, you get there pretty early and uh, go through a prep day with them and you just kind of do monotonous, just like little prep projects for... This is the hiring process. Yeah, it's the hiring process. And um, go through and you do, you know, pretty monotonous and just kind of mundane tasks. You know, you're peeling vegetable for stock and like you're, 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 you know, trimming kale off of the stem and just like jobs that no one really wants to do. And they make, they make the stage do them for, for a couple of hours. And then you get paired up with what's referred to as a chef de partie. So a chef de partie has their own station and they have their own dishes that they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. You get paired up with a chef de partie and, and they'll give you a little bit more complicated tasks to get done. And, and, um, you're supervised by the chef de partie as well as the sous chef and, uh, do that for a couple of hours and then you work service with them for a little bit. So you'll end up, you know, plating and, and cooking some of the, some of the food that they have there. And afterward, after probably an hour or so of service, the, whoever that, whoever's what's referred to as, is running the pass that night. Um, which is just, it's just whoever's in charge of the kitchen that night, whether it's uh, chef whom the chef owner, chef Brian Lockwood, the chef de cuisine, um, or Colin Wyatt, our executive sous chef, whoever's running the pass that night, uh, they'll come up to you. You'll, you'll stand next to them and you'll watch what's called the pass, which is where, um, every station after their food is plated, it has to go to the pass and it has to be approved by whoever's running the kitchen before it goes into the dining room. They're the ones who have the final say on whether or not it's cooked properly, whether or not it's plated the right way, uh, whether or not the plate's clean enough to go into the dining room, whether or not, you know, like proteins are facing the right direction, dependent on whether or not guests are left-handed or right-handed. So things like that are all super important. And then whoever's running the pass is kind of that, that final say. So, uh, you watch the pass with them and then depending on, depending on what, what that chef is feeling like, they'll bring you a protein from the walk-in. Sometimes it's beef. Sometimes it's live langoustine. Sometimes it's a whole fish. What's langoustine? Langoustine is a, it's like a, it's a saltwater. Um, they're like, they're like shrimp. They're like, it's a cross between like a shrimp and, and a lobster. They were alive. They're amazing. Yeah. They're unbelievable. I love them. Huh. One of my favorite ingredients to work with in the you, world. You they, eat them live? You can. Really? You can eat the, t- yeah, can, you can eat the, you can, you can eat the tails raw. They're delicious. Huh. They're so, so good. Okay. I'll, I'll, you can, you can, I have a friend here that'll, that can get me some. Yeah, that'd be um, excellent. Maybe, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe next time we'll have to, we'll yeah, have to let's do it. Eat. Um, I've never even heard of that before. Yeah, they're, they're okay. awesome. They're really, really cool animals and, and they're absolutely delicious. Uh, so it, it really depends on what they have in the walk-in and they'll give you whatever protein that is. And as soon as they hand it to you, they say you have one hour to cook me a dish. Your time starts now and they start a timer and you have one hour to cook for the best chefs in the world. It's just whatever dish you want to make. Whatever you want to cook. Okay. 
whatever you want to cook, but you have to use that protein. Mac and cheese. Yeah, whatever you can make. Yeah, I could, I could, you know, lobster mac and cheese with langoustines would be really, really expensive, but they probably would, they would have let me, they probably would have let me make it. Yeah. Um, you can make whatever you want. And we've seen some, some really cool dishes. We had, um, we had a, we had a, a, a stage come in that was applying for her J1 visa from, from Mumbai, India. Mm-hmm. And she made this curry that was just like insane. Like it was crazy. Um, like it wasn't way. really what, we were looking for in terms of hiring a chef just because it, it was just, it, it didn't really translate to the kind of food that we do there, sure. but it was like the, it was the best curry I've ever had. Like it was, really? it was insane. Like it was crazy. Um, so you have that hour to cook and, and he handed me a, uh, had a piece of black bass and, um, cook for chef. He tastes it and he tastes it with you, asks you what you think about the dish, asks if there's anything you would have done differently. If there's anything you think you could have seasoned, differently or if, if, if it was cooked properly and, and asks you a bunch of questions and it gives you his feedback. And then you go back to that chef de partie that you were partnered up with. He, he gives you, he gives you no, no, like, yeah, it was really good. Or, or that was, you know, terrible. He just says, okay, thank you. And then you go back to your chef de partie, you spend the rest of service with them and then you break down the whole kitchen. And every night at, at 11 Madison park, we, we deep clean the entire restaurant every night. Everything gets, you know, all of the, like all of the refrigerator drawers get pulled out and all the gaskets get cleaned and everything gets like light bulbs get taken out, polished and then screwed back in. And like the clocks get taken down off of the walls and the batteries are changed and windexed and like, wow. we deep clean the entire kitchen every night. And so you're partnered up with your chef de partie, you deep clean the kitchen. And then after your, you know, after your, your stage, you go and you sit down with chef and if he likes your dish, they'll typically bring you on. And if he doesn't, he just sends you home and says, you know, thank you. We appreciate it. But it gives you feedback on the dish and, and that's it. Wow. Um, so I made uh, I, I made a charcoal butter poached a piece of black bass and made a mole, a quick mole that, that Chella, the housekeeper that I mentioned earlier, taught me how to make. Um, oh, wow. Mole traditionally takes hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to make. And it's traditionally, you know, 50, 50 or more ingredients to make a really good traditional mole. What's a mole? A mole is, it's just, it's just the sauce. Um, okay. Some will say it's an actual dish itself because of how much labor goes into it and how much love is, is really needed to make a good mole. Um, but for all intents and purposes, we'll call it a sauce. It's a pretty thick sauce. Um, traditionally with like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> pretty thick sauce. It's like pepper based. There's always nuts in it. Okay. Um, charred alliums. So it's like charred onions, uh, charred scallions, fresh peppers, dried peppers, chocolates, traditionally in there um, sometimes they'll use charred pumpkin yeah interesting um, I wasn't sweet savory oh. spicy acidic creamy texturally it's a lot of fun um, but it takes hours and hours and hours to make because of the layers because of the way that the sauce has to be layered it takes a long time to make because some things will burn before others are cooked and, and some things will become too it's just it, it's incredibly labor intensive and it's really difficult to make a good one but Chella taught me to make one pretty quickly uh, and be able to do it in an hour was was tough, but I was able to get it done. So I did uh, charcoal butter poached, um, black bass, and then um, a dark mole in a in a circle, and then in a smaller circle inside of the mole, I did a roasted pumpkin sauce, and then on the other side of that, did a treviso and um, citrus salad. Um, chef loved it. Chef was really really happy with it, and and hired me. I started a couple days later. And have been at Eleven Madison Park for uh, been there since March. That's awesome. Yeah. So same. What? So so when you start, what was your position there? Like everybody starts as what's referred to as a co-me. Okay. And 
regardless of where you're coming from, who you've worked for in the past, you have to start at the bottom of the ladder. It's just the way that the kitchen is set up, just the way the chef wants things run. And, and it just teaches you a lot of humility. You know, some, some of the best cooks I've ever worked with and probably ever work, will work with all started at the same position. Right. And it's just, it, it just is the way that things have to be done in order to, to maintain the structure that we have in place there. Right. So you start as a commie and, and you start as, you know, hours are, are brutal and, you get there early in the morning and you unload produce and like you, you wash produce and then put it into Lexan containers, which are clear containers that are yeah. used for organizing walk-in refrigerators and you label them properly. And then they go into the walk-in in their specific places and you learn the systems that they have in place and, and what makes them different. Uh, what makes, when I say them, 11 Madison park, whatever makes them different from other restaurants are just these small systems that they have in place right. um, that ends, you know, at, 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 when you look at it, at first glance, when I first started there, it's, you know, a lot of the things didn't really make a whole lot of sense. You're like, what, like, why, why does this matter? Why does that matter? Why are we doing it this way? Why can't we just do it? It's easier if we do it that way. Um, everything, everything there has to be intentional and everything there is done for a reason. And, right. and if you're going to do something, do it the best way you can. And it's just those building blocks are, are what was able to get us to, to being one of the best restaurants in the world, I think, was the little things like that. And that's what I was going to touch on, because you mentioned um, that was a three-star Michelin guide, right? Yeah, so... so and what, if you mind explaining what, what the Michelin guide is, sure. that way kind of give people a more, better understanding of just, like, how amazing this, this place is so, in Madison Park. Yeah, the, the, the Michelin guide was started in, in the... I think, it was in, I think it was the year 1900. And it was started by two French brothers. That was a good year. Um... Edward and Andre, I think were their names, and, and they were two French tire makers, uh, Edward and Andre Michelin, and they were two French tire makers, and at the time, there were like 3,000 cars on the road in France, and in order to grow their business, they tried to promote people buying cars, and they wanted to give them a reason to buy cars so that they could travel throughout France, and so they started creating these guidebooks that had maps and like car mechanic listings and hotels and gas stations and and. Uh, advice for for how to have a car run smoothly and, and when a tire has been too worn and, and they would start giving these out to people that had cars in hopes that they could give them to friends to to try to persuade them to buy a car so they could in turn sell more tires and uh, started as just kind of like a guidebook in terms of like if you're driving from point A to point B here are two hotels that we recommend you stay in or here's a good friend of ours he's a great mechanic um, if you have a car problem you should stop by and go see him and it, that's kind of what it started with and um it wasn't until 1926 that they started rating restaurants. And at the time, it was only a one-star rating. Um, right now, it's the three, a three-star rating is the most you can get. But it started as a one-star rating, and it was, just, uh, it was just restaurants that were worth stopping at if you were in the neighborhood. And um, when they started developing the technologies to, to, to make a tread last longer on tires, they decided to give stars more stars based on like distance of how far you could travel on these tires to make it worth going there. Um, and so one star when they released the three stars, I think they released the three stars in like 1930, 1931. And, um, at the time it was one star was a very good restaurant in the category. Two stars was excellent cooking. and was worth a detour. If you're driving somewhere, like if it was in the vicinity, it was worth you taking the extra, you know, 10 miles to go stop there. And uh, three stars was, uh, for exceptional cuisine that was worth a special tour or, or, or worth a special trip. And, and they tried to have people like, you know, plan a weekend to go to a restaurant that was 500 miles away wow. uh, <laughs> in hopes that they could have people really burn through their tread. You know, they're trying to generate their own business and it made right. sense 
to really make sure that like restaurants that were far out of the way, like, oh, you really should go check it out. You really should put some miles on those tires. And, and that's kind of how it, that's kind of how I got started. And, and it wasn't for, you know, I don't really know when it gained as much traction as it did, right. but as of right now, that's the most important, that's, that's the most important award a restaurant can win. It's kind of interesting. You don't think about, you know, tread on a tire didn't used to be as lengthy as it yeah, is exactly. now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you can get, you know, you can do, you know, the hundred thousand yeah, miles the tires more, on my Jeep yeah. are like 90,000 miles right, when they yeah. first came out. I don't know if you could put, I don't I have no idea how many miles you could right. put on, on those treads, but, um, yeah, just the way that it progressed. And like a lot of people don't know that like the Michelin tire company is what started the most important restaurant guidebook in the world. Like the Michelin tire man, the puffy marshmallow looking guy right. is the sponsor and is the mascot of the best restaurant guidebook in the world. <laughs> like people don't put two and two together, but when you think about it, you're like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, well that makes sense. Yeah. But it all kind of started with two brothers, the two Michelin brothers that wanted to, wanted to sell more tires. And in order to do so, they wanted to say, yeah, you should, yeah, put 500 miles on those tires this weekend. That's a good idea. You should go eat at this restaurant. It's really good. And, and it just kind of has just turned into what it is. Um, but it didn't reach the U S the first American guidebook was published in 2005. Um, we have been, we've had three Michelin stars since, 2012. So the restaurant that I, wow. that I work at 11 Madison park was owned by a guy named Danny Meyer, who, if anybody knows anything about restaurants is, is one of the most important American restaurateurs, uh, to, to have, have spent time in this industry. He's, he's, he's literally written the book on, on, on perfect service. It's called setting the table. Hmm. Um, and so he owned it for a while. Daniel whom the owner of 11 Madison park now bought it from him with a, uh, with a co-owner named Will Gadera. They bought it in, I think, 2000. I, I forget what year they bought it, but but since they took it over, they've had three Michelin stars since 2000, 2012, which is the highest award a restaurant can win. There's 104 three Michelin star restaurants in the world, and there's only 14 in the U.S. Really? Wow. So it's tough. It's really, really hard, and, and they can be taken away, too. Once you win three stars, you have to maintain them. You can, you can lose a star, and losing a star can be really, really detrimental to the success of a restaurant. Right. Um, we've been able to do it. What separates like a one from a two to a three? If you know, I know one is just about the food. You know, there, there are a couple of, there's a street cart in in Thailand. There's a street cart that serves noodles that has a Michelin star. Really? The food's insane. Like I, I've never, I've never had it, but I've had friends that have, that have tried it. And they, they all say that it's some of the best noodles they've ever had. Wow. Um, but three stars is really just about, it's the all encompassing evening as opposed to like having really good food or having really good service. It's, it's the attention to detail that we put into it that, that make it a three-star evening. And it's, it's everything from the way that you're greeted and, and the way that you're ad- like addressed and just the way that things are set up in, in terms of your dining experience to kind of custom tailor it to every, every body that we're able to welcome into the restaurant that makes it so unique. Like we have at 11 Madison Park, we have, we have a team of it's, you know, three or four people, incredibly talented artists called Dreamweavers. And we'll do a little bit of background research on whoever's coming in for dinner that night. And, and, you know, let's say Facebook stalking to the next level, basically. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. So like, let's, you know, let's say my girlfriend Chandler and I go in for dinner, like they would look at Chandler's Facebook and Instagram and they would see that she has three awesome dogs and they would like draw a beautiful picture of all three of her dogs and have them like illuminated by candle at the table waiting for her when we came in. It's like wow. little things like that that they do that, that really add a personal touch to something that people plan so far in advance. Like we, we had a couple come in for, for New Year's this year that made their reservation in 2017. 
Wow. And a reservation three years ago to go have dinner with us. And, and because of that, because of the pressure that we're able to, to try to deliver to their expectations, it's the little things like that that make it what we are. Right. But it's, it's, it's really just the all-encompassing evening. It's everything that goes into it. It's the temperature of the dining room. And it's the you know, temperature of the water glasses when we bring them out. And it's, it's the wine list that we have. And it's just the way that, that the spiels is what we refer to them as, is, is when a server kind of welcomes a table and, and talks to them about the menu and the way things are set up. Just the way that the, the spiels are, are, are dictated is, is super important. And like, you know, they, they practice their cadence of delivery. And like, really? I mean, it's insane. And just the steps of service that we do to to make sure things are as close to perfect as we can get them. A little different is, than is, eating at a Chili's, huh? It is. <laughs> and, and nothing nothing to detract from what they do at Chili's. Absolutely, I love it there. But it's sure. just a different dining experience. You know what it'll cost? It's $335 a person for just food at Levin Madison Park, and it's about a three-and-a-half to four-hour long dinner. And didn't you say there was one one night that there was a, just a couple that came in? They were ordering, like, some of the yeah we have a we've got a bottle we've got a bottle on the wine that's listed for fourteen thousand five hundred bucks and they ordered it. they ordered two of them wow yeah jeez yeah you you see some I mean some of the people that come into dinner there it's 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 insane to see how much money is out there right being able to spend fourteen thousand five hundred dollars on two bottles on a bottle of wine and do it again right. is crazy to me. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's wild. Twenty nine thousand dollars for two bottles of wine is crazy. Like that's that's <laughs> which means yeah. that there's opportunity out exactly. there. That and, and, exactly, and they have found it, and they have they have been able to deliver on that. But it's um, that's excellent. Yeah, some of the people that we have in are incredible, and then so you know, the same can also be said that we have people that 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 spend years and years and years saving up to come have one evening there, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. we want to make sure that those people are treated the exact same Just way the same, right? as the people that come in and spend fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the reasons that that we've done so well over the years is regardless of who's coming into the dining room, we're still going to treat them the same way. Right. Uh, we don't have a dress code. You can come in and wear whatever you want to. And, and people have, people have worn some pretty crazy things in the dining room, but you know, it's like we, we can't, we're not going to turn them away. Like what's some of the, one of the craziest things. I mean, you people coming in flip flops, sweatpants and like a, you know, a, a wife beater. It's <laughs> happened, happened more than once. Um, which is insane. You know, you're in there right. with like, Karen, what do you have in that girl? Exactly. <laughs> it's like you don't really like that's like they'll they'll ask questions like that. You know, they're like, I'm you know, I just I'd love a steak tonight. I want it medium rare. It's like, sir, we don't have we don't have beef on the menu. You know, it's like we have it's fourteen prefixed courses. Like you don't get to ch- you don't really get to choose. Like right. You just you just get to you just get to eat what we have that night. You, you know? guys got ketchup? It's no, don't we would have to like we would have to make ketchup. Like if somebody asked for it, they would be, they would be like, "Who's okay, who's going to make it? Who's right. going to make ketchup from scratch?" It's like what? That's awesome. It's crazy. We we've had to do it before. Somebody really? asked for yeah. Somebody asked for mayonnaise, and we'll have to make mayonnaise. We'll have to emulsify egg yolks with like really expensive <laughs> olive oil, and like it's insane. Best mayo you've exactly. ever had. Exactly, it's, yeah. it's incredible mayo. But like you know, pulling somebody off of their station so they can go whip a bunch of farm raised egg yolks together right. to make mayonnaise is pretty crazy. But. Um, yeah, they, I mean it's 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 insane, and, and some of the people that come in there are just they're just wild. It's it's um, it's crazy to see. It's it's, yeah. it's 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 nuts to see some of the people that, that filter through those beautiful doors. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say like you mentioned some of the people that have come through were actually really surprising, but it was also really neat that you were able to actually the chef brought you out to explain like the meal or something. Yeah, like that. so so right? there's um one one of the one of the positions that they have at Eleven Madison Park is what's referred to as a cook server, and you get to deliver some of the dishes to guests in the dining room. Uh, and kind of explain just the processes that go into them. And, and for some reason, I was one of the people that Chef wanted to wanted to have go out there. And some of the people that I got to meet along the way were just really, really great. And like, um, you know, I, we're probably, I, don't, I don't think we're really supposed to talk about names, but some of the people that I've got to know 
just just through the connections that I made in the dining room have, have been really, really fun for me and, and, and pretty fruitful relationships that I've been able to develop with some people. But just for just for sake of um, privacy and anonymity, yeah, anonymity sure. I'd probably not probably not refer to any names, but there's some there's some people out there that, that I've been very lucky to meet that were a lot of fun to be around. Yeah. That were a lot of fun to be around. Is it safe to, is it okay to say like some presidents? Is that, I mean, or? Uh, yeah, we've, we've had everything from, we'd had, we, I mean, we've had, we've had former current presidents. We've had, you know, the, the biggest of the big A-list celebrities come in. We've had sultans and we've had princes come in and, and, you know, queens and, and anybody that you can think of, you know, from from billionaire to to tech mogul yeah. has filtered through those doors and and that's another crazy thing about it is you don't know whose table you're going out to right. until you get there and like, I've, oh, I have hey. been yeah. very caught off guard by some <laughs> of the people that I have seen once I get to their table not expecting to see some of the people that have been sitting there drinking um, drinking wine but it's it's uh, yeah it's great it's 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 really fun and, and some of the people that I've gotten to meet and, and like I said build fruitful relationships with going forward has really been invaluable in, in terms of what I want to do going forward. It's been right. it's been insane. One thing, um, obviously, keeping their privacy in hand. But one thing I thought was really neat. You mentioned um, a a, a, a a comedian yep. or so that you had met. Yeah. And he uh, y'all connected really well that night. But then he reached out to you randomly. Yeah. That, that I, I cooked dinner for him at his house. Yeah. Which was, was 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 insane, and I, I was really caught off guard by that. But it was it was an incredible evening, and and. and <laughs> The people that he had his house, I, I was very surprised yeah. to see as well when I walked in. I was not expecting to to cook for the people that I did, but it, it's it's just those things that, that I never would have been able to do if I didn't have if 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 everything didn't go the way that that they were planned to go for me. And and it's 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 crazy to think that you know that the choices that I made and and you know just by watching how Chella made her mole and then trying to do that again, you know, however, however many years, you know, 18 years later to try to do that again at the best restaurant in the world to land a job there, to meet that person, right. just the way that things worked out and, and, and just the path that, that I'm blessed to be on. And, and, and I feel really fortunate to, to have had the opportunities that I've had so far. And, and every step that I've taken has gotten me to this kind of culmination of my career. And I've just been, I've been, I feel very lucky with the path that I've been set out on. Yeah. I, I'm very fortunate to, to continue walking it. And, and hopefully there, there's there's a lot more fun stories and, and, and people involved along the way. No doubt. Man. Yeah, no it's, doubt. it's insane. It's crazy. One thing that was neat that you were talking about. So obviously the levels like the level that, you know, 11th and Madison Park, you know, you know, played at sure. was 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 incredible. Like, they, you know, chef would all, you know, would would just demand perfection out of, yeah. out of y'all every single time. One of the things that you know we you know we all know is that perfection is unattainable. So that being said, what do you do then? So like you know they have a certain level of perfection, but then like when you're, once you realize you're not able to get perfection, what do you do? What do you do next? Yeah, it's really tough, and um, it's it's a really it's a really hard thing to, to to cope with. Is is they expect things to be perfect, knowing that like you said, perfection is unattainable, right? And trying to achieve that every day, but still falling short, regardless of how hard you try is, is really difficult to do and, and do daily. It gets tiring and it's, it's really difficult to stay focused and to stay dedicated to it. When you know that regardless of how hard you try, you're not going to be able to give them the product that they want. Right. But as long as you're reaching for it, as long as you're still trying to deliver on that, that's all that they really can ask for because at the end of the day, they know that it's unattainable, but they still expect us to reach for it. And it's, it's, it's tough. And it's, I think what, what makes it so, 
it'll, it's, it's never easy and it never will be, but I, what I think makes it more palatable and more accepting is just how important these failures are to the success of the actual evening and, and, and to just personal growth. And it's, it's not just about one thing that I loved about my time there was it's not just about obviously serving the best food in the world is really, really important as, as chefs there, but they really did care about your personal growth. They knew that they know that everybody that works there isn't going to work there until they retire. They know that everyone has their, their own goals and their own plans and they're, they're willing to help you attain those. And, and I think that for me, that was invaluable, and I really was was fortunate to have the opportunity to to learn from some from mistakes and and having chefs that that I've looked up to for years go out of their way to tell me why things didn't work that night or or why things or how things could have been done differently or done better uh, for me made it a lot easier knowing that watching the best chefs in the world have them come up to you and be like yeah I've done that before you know a hundred times like I, it's, here's here's exactly why that didn't work today or here's why. You know, like, is, is something as small as like, here's why the mayonnaise that you were trying to make today wasn't emulsified properly. And like mm. little tips like that, that you're able to take away from something that at times, you know, just feels just like, you know, when you're trying to put up a dish for tasting. So every day service starts at, um, dinner service starts at five thirties when our first guests sit down every day at four forty-five, um, after your three, four hours of prep chef comes and he tastes every component of every dish and then he tastes the completed dish. And, um, you can spend so much time on, on these dishes and you can really put a lot of effort into something and you can think that it's, it's as close to perfect as you're going to be able to give them and you can put it up for tasting and chef can say it's just absolute garbage. But at the end of the day, the, what's, what's so difficult about it and it's still something that I've yet to come to terms with is, is there's no such thing as a perfect dish because your tastes are going to be so different from mine. Of course. Like you might like something, you might like a little bit more salt in your food. I might like a little bit more heat in mine than my girlfriend does or... or I might like things to be a little bit more acidic or I want there to be more sweetness. And, and because of that, I could put up something that I think is perfect. But if your tastes are completely out of line from what I feel or what I, or from, from what I want, that's, that's when, that's when there's a disconnect and it's, it's tough to be able to find, it's, it's hard to be able to, to try and, and tailor what I think is perfect to somebody else's tastes. Mm. And so you have to taste things and say, okay, I think this is, I think this is salted properly, but I know chef likes things a little saltier. So I'm going to add another pinch of salt. And so for me, it might be too salty, but when I put it up for tasting, yeah, it's good. It's, yeah. It's, tastes, tastes all right. But for me, when I taste it, it's, yeah, it's like, oof, a little, little salty today, but it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's something that we still struggle with. And it's something that, that cooking at that level, people will always struggle with. It's, it's not something that, it's unrealistic, yes, and it's unattainable, yes, but you still have to reach for it every day, and right. you have to become okay, and you have to learn how to deal with the disappointment and those failures along the way, and, and, and it makes it even more rewarding when you do put up a dish for tasting, and chef's like, yeah, this is awesome, like right. really, yeah, really good job today, like after having 10 terrible tastings, and then you have that one good one, it makes it all worth it, but like after, after right. like, you know, after the second one, you're like, what am I doing? And then after the fifth one, you're like, why am I here? Right. And then after the 10th, you're like, this is my last day. Like, I can't do this anymore. And then on day 11, you come in and chef's like, oh, that was awesome. And you're like, oh, I love this. Right. This is awesome. Yep. I love working here. Like, this is insane. Like, this is, this is great. It, it, it does make it all worth it once you get those. Um, 
and it's just it's the little victories you know it, it's it's the little victories that, that make it all worth it and that's just like um, a life lesson too it's like you can have one bad experience after bad experience but that one great experience makes, makes it, it all worth it yeah, yeah exactly and 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 i think the the most memorable tastings i've had throughout my time at 11 madison park were the times that chef was like yeah this is really good preston like that was a really you know really good day for you like this is this is this is all really this is really nicely seasoned it's you know texturally it's really nice and and you know, your, the angles of the vegetables that you cut, like they're all like, it's just the little things that, that I remember in terms of my tastings. I think the ones that have gone well are more important to me. And then I, I remember more detail about than the ones that are just terrible. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, I think it really is just the way you handle the disappointment and the, and the continual letdown sure. um, is how you're able to kind of rebound from it and come into a service the next day, kind of clean slate. You have to, you can't, you can't, you know, it's a lot of things. It's this, it's the same with, you know, relationships and, and with, with, with the people that you hold dear, it's, it's like harboring grudges and, and, and walking into, walking into, to a new day, bearing the same burdens is not mm. going to give you the success you hope for. Right. You've got to find a way to move on from, from, from some of those things. And, and right. you know, having a bad tasting one day doesn't mean the next service is going to be the same way. You just kind of have to walk into it and be like, all right, you know, guy, okay, chef told me why this didn't work. Let's go ahead and try and change this and let's see how it works today. Right. And it's just one step at a time. And, and I think that's something that I learned a lot about while I was there was in terms of like the development and creation of a new dish. It's like seeing the amount of time that some of the chefs put into dishes that go onto the menu is crazy because we're always thinking two menus ahead of time. Hmm. And just the amount of time that people put into these, it's like they try to focus on the overall. And I, and I know that I've done this too. Like I'll, I'll taste, I'll taste a dish that I've been working on and I'll taste it and, and, so like, oh yeah, well it needs this, it needs that. But I think it's more important to taste the individual components beforehand and before you taste a cohesive dish. Because if you can make, if all of the individual components taste good, they're probably going to taste good together. Hmm. Um, and it's easier to kind of, kind of critique different textures and different tastes of individual components before you put on every, everything on a plate before it, before it's harmonious or not. And I kind of feel like it's the same way for me and my personal growth was, you know, just like everyone, I've, I've made a ton of mistakes and I, I've, done a, I've done a lot of things that I regret and, and a lot of things that I wish I could go back and do differently. Um, and I'm not going to be able to change all of that overnight, but I am going to be able to change one thing at a time. And eventually I'll get to the point to where I'm like, man, I'm in a really good place. Like I feel really, really good. You know, this is, this is exactly how I want my life to be going right now. But I'm not going to be able to get to that one point if I don't take that first step of... of you know, fixing whatever the first problem is or fixing whatever the second is or third is. And it's kind of the same thing with developing a new dish is like you can't, if, if your dish is, you know, focused on, you know, talking about seasonality right now, like if you're focused on like a dish that's really based on tomatoes, like you can't make a beautiful, delicious dish out of crappy tomatoes. Like mm -hmm. you have to make sure that the individual components leading up to that one cohesive dish are, are as close to perfect as you can get them. And it's the same thing with, you know, like I said, personal growth is I'm not going to be able to be the person I want to be if, if, if the building blocks one, two, and three aren't where they need to be to support 10, 12, and, right. you know, 15. But it's a culmination of all those single steps, you know, on a consistent basis. Yeah, you know? it is. And that's, that's, I think a lot of us, we lose track of that. We get overwhelmed sometimes with like so many steps or whatever, but I like, know just focus on a few things every yeah. single day that you can do and you'll get, ultimately get to where you're going. Exactly. It's a matter of you got to keep persisting. And so yeah. like, 
like, how did you, I mean, whether it's in, you know, the tastings or just in life in general, like, how did you keep going through the difficult times? Like, you know, your 10, you know, your 10 tastings sucked sure. and then 11th or in, in other examples in life. But like, how do you keep going whenever you're, you're just like, feel like quitting and getting up? There were so many days that I wanted to. There were a lot of days that, you know, in the middle of service, I wanted to leave. And, and there were a lot of days that, that I didn't think I was at the right place. But I knew that for what I wanted to do going forward, that, that it would be hard for me to learn more than I would anywhere else. And like I mentioned, it just, it makes, it makes those good feelings so much more rewarding when you're, when you're feeling down. I think that's kind of what drove me to continue pushing was like, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be, a, it's going to be a better tasting tomorrow. And I'm going to get that, I'm going to get that high again. And then all of a sudden I'm just going to be right back on track. And it just, it takes just one tasting right. to kind of reset those sales. And I, and I kind of feel like once once you start to lose wind in those sails, it, it just can, you know, going back to the, the, the sailing that I was doing earlier, it's, it's, it's like once you lose wind in those sails, as soon as it picks back up, like it just makes it all worth it. And, and I think that's kind of what got me through it was, and it's just like there's, there's an incredible team there because everybody goes through, you're under so much pressure cooking at that level, trying to maintain the three Michelin stars and trying to maintain, you know, the, the best restaurant in the world ranking and, and trying to maintain the, the four-star review from the New York Times. You're under so much pressure to deliver on what people are paying thousands of dollars or expecting that, pe like, it's not uncommon to have, like, cooks break down in tears in the middle of service because of how stressful it is. Like, it yeah. happens all of the time. Has it ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. 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 I've, I've, yeah, I've cried in the middle of service. I've, I've left the kitchen before in tears. Like, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a really hard environment to work in, but because of how much pressure we're all under, there's, it's just that one other than, you know, wanting to be incredible cooks. It's one of those things that, that, that drives all of us and, it, and the kind of camaraderie and, and friendships and relationships that you build together under that pressure is, mm -hmm. is really special. And, and yeah. we're lucky to have, you know, the cooks that I worked alongside with, whenever you have those bad days, it's always, you know, at the end of the day, like when you leave, you go grab a beer with each other and you're like, you know, man, I know, I know tasting was, was crappy, but like, you know, tomorrow's going to be a better day. You know, like here's, here's what I saw that you've done. Here's what you did differently today that I picked up on, you know, maybe try this or maybe try that. You're, you're surrounded by so many talented cooks that you can bounce ideas off of each other. And, and there's, they're, they're always sounding boards and they're always there for you and they expect the same. And like, that's what I loved about it. It's kind of like, you know, playing football at the collegiate level. I had some great teammates and some people that I'm really close with. Right kind of the same bonds were built and forged through the pressure that we were under at 11 Madison park as well. And, and, you know, wanting to, wanting to, wanting to succeed. So, so the people next to you succeeded as well was kind of a driving factor as well. Like I didn't want to let the cooks next to me down. Like right. I didn't want to, cause you're on stations there. Like, you know, there's a fish station, there's a meat station, there's garmage, there's caviar, there are stations and every station has a couple of cooks on there. And if one station goes down, like if one cook on one station goes down, the entire station goes down. Mm. And it's just that it's that fear of letting those two people that work alongside you down. That was another driving factor. And it was just one of those things that like, if you have a bad service, you have to leave and you have to come in the next day knowing you can't let them down again. And that's something that I've, you know, it's, I've always struggled with that. Like I've, I've always, it's tough, you know, like always, always wanting to be better and never feeling like you're, you're, you're doing, doing as, as good of a job as you should. And, and, it's just, it's just that chasing something that's unrealistic and unattainable that, that gets you, I mean, it's tough. It's a, it's a heavy burden to, to try and bear, um, right. to try and reach for something that you know you're never going to be able to touch. 
is really hard and, and why we continue to do it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but, but I know that it's just something that, I don't know, you know, why, like, why not? Well, I think it's the, the, the more you pursue your potential, the happier you're going to be. Cause I feel like that's, that's success. You know, success is a pursuit of your potential. And the more that you, cause if your potential is better, you know, if you can make a better dish, should you? Yeah. Cause why? Cause I think ultimately it helps add more value to the world around you. The more that you pursue your potential as well, Sure. you know, and the more you do that. And so obviously you're never going to, and I, I, I'm a firm believer. You're never going to reach your potential either. I agree. Because, because it's, that's, that's the perfection, right? Yeah. And you're never going to do that. But I think it's just like you, you behoove yourself. Not think I know you, it, it behooves you to show up every day and be the best version of yourself because as you become better, the world around you gets better as well. You yeah. Know? I agree it with affects that. Ju- it never affects just you. It's a, it's a trickle down effect. You know? Yeah. It absolutely is. And I think that's one of the reasons that I love the, just the, the structure of the kitchen at 11 Madison Park is there's so many people that, that help get you to the finish line that right. you're always there to help pick each other up and you're always helping, you know, to help push each other and, and, and to continue bettering not only yourself, but just the people around you was, was one of the reasons I loved it so much was there's just so much, so much teamwork and so much camaraderie with, with the people that you're, you're there with because mm-hmm. of how much you, because of the struggle that you share mutually, I think that's right. one of the things that kind of forged really strong relationships between us all. That's excellent, man. So going, so, you know, you're working there. You said you started there in March. Is that right? I left in March. Left I started March. there. That's I started right. there in, um, in October. So, right. so it was a little over a year and a half. Cool. So you go in there and <laughs> so you left in March, obviously COVID hits yep, and you COVID come, back, hit. come back here yep. and then now you end up starting something that, you know, by your own admission, you never would have thought you would have started. So go into, if you mind explaining like sure. Shug's bagels and yeah. go from there. So, um, if you would have told me six months ago while I was working service at the number one restaurant in the world, that I would be a small business owner in my hometown of Dallas owning a New York style bagel shop, I would have told you you're full of crap. <laughs> Like I never would have expected to be back here as, as soon as I was. And, and I, uh, I'm lucky my, my sister, you know, being born and raised here in Dallas, my, my, my sister has a lot of friends and she knows a lot of people that went to SMU. She's a couple mm-hmm. years younger than I am. And she introduced me to a guy named Justin Chagru when I got back from New York, who also spent time in New York. He worked for some really great restaurants as well, doing kind of front of house stuff. He was a waiter for a bit. He did some managerial roles. A uh, younger guy um, but was from the New York area, so spent time in restaurants growing up. Went to SMU, got his degree in finance, and um, graduated a couple years a couple years ago. He's younger than I am, and realized that there are no good bagel shops here in Dallas, and 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 wanted to wanted to change that. So he took his New York roots and planted them here, and and decided to open a bagel shop, and has been working on the project for two years. Of all things, of all things, shop, yeah. But I mean, he's right. You know, growing up it here in Dallas, sense, yeah. you know, growing up here in Dallas. Yeah. I've yet to find a bagel that I really love. You know, Einstein's is Einstein's, but like sure. it's not a New York style. It's not a kettle boiled New York style bagel it's that different. I've been eating for the last year and a half. Right, right. And uh, once I saw what a good New York bagel was, that's when I was like, man, this is a this is a really good idea. This makes a lot of sense. Like, why has no one done this yet? And um, my sister introduced me to him, and we hit it off. I mean, we had had a really great couple of conversations. He asked me if I wanted to invest in it, so I, I made a cash investment, and I also um, I also wanted to work out some kind of deal in, in terms of sweat equity that I could I could work into, and, and the longer you know, the more time that I spent at the shop, the more equity I could end up accruing. And I've been there since I got home, and and, and we opened about a month ago, and we have been so busy. We have we have done things that we'd never expected or, or, or projected to in terms of financial planning right. we never expected to be doing the kind of business that we're doing right now especially rolling in the dough exactly oh, exactly <laughs> <laughs> the bagel puns are insane 
Um, it's a very well-rounded business. It, it is. It is. And um, <laughs> we are we are just we're we're so lucky, and and I feel so blessed to I be able that. to not only say that I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a successful small business owner in Dallas, but to be able to say it in the climate that we're in right now, right. Yeah. you know, with, with everything that's going on with COVID being a restaurant owner or a small business owner in general, it's really, really difficult. And we, we had a lot of concerns opening when we decided to, and, and we didn't know if it was the right time for us in terms, not, not, not just in terms of, of, of whether or not it made sense financially, you know, we didn't know if we were going to make money or not. It was, it wasn't really about that. It was more about whether or not we were comfortable with opening at a time like that. Like it mm-hmm. kind of felt weird for us to, because so many other people, so many other people are losing right. businesses that they've been working on for you know years and years and years of their life, and, and so many people are having to shut down small businesses that they've that they've cared about for for you know longer than I've been in Dallas. Right. And it felt weird for you know you know a twenty five, a twenty six, and a twenty seven year old to be opening a, a business at the time. But we decided that um, it just made sense for us, and, and we decided that, that it was it was worth any backlash that we, we could have gotten. And, and fortunately we haven't gotten any. And, and not only have we not gotten any backlash, but just the amount of press and publicity that we've been able to generate. Had a great article in the Dallas Morning News published about us and, and D Magazine and Eater and, and um, just just some really great articles to help drive some press. And I think it was, it was a good reprieve for some of these editors because they've been spending so much time you know, they've been spending the last five months writing about COVID, COVID, and like restaurants that are closing and mm-hmm. chefs that are sick, and yeah. and how bad the you know the labor market's going to be when restaurants reopen. And, and they've had they've had to write so many negative articles over the last five months that it was it was almost a welcome reprieve for some of these editors to go out there and be like, listen, guys, like please support this local you know like a, you know guy from dallas jesuit a couple of new yorkers smu graduates that are trying to open a small business they were really helpful in, in, in us getting this thing up and off the ground and and like i said we we have been busier than than i ever could have imagined you know, selling three thousand bagels in like two hours yeah. I mean, it's insane it's the crazy are amazing and, and too I, I went there with the, my friend or my, my friend my girlfriend victoria she and i went just recently and it was amazing dude it was great we're super proud of them we're, yeah. we're really and, and justin took the reins on the on the on the dough production He's uh, he's the one that spent some time in, in some bagel shops across the country that that he wanted to learn from. Didn't y'all bring like an osmologist in to match the water? Yeah, it's crazy. Like York, we whatever? like we 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 soften we soften the water to match the pH balance of the New York water because we we that's one of the reasons that doughs in New York are, are so great is just the water up there has so much so much more minerality to it. It just creates a better environment for yeasts to become active in, and you just get a better dough hmm. out of water that that has that pH balance. So it's been softened to, to match that and, um, brought in an oven that was, you know, it's from like 1984. That's been in the same bagel shop in, in New York for, since it was built, we had it unassembled shipped here and then reassembled inside of, you know, a custom space that was built just for this oven. And, and wow. we're really sparing no expense, but we think it's, I think one of the reasons that I was so drawn to it is because they're sparing no expense. It made sense to me coming from where I've been at for the last year and a half. Right. Yeah. After being at 11 Madison Park and, and seeing that there were no corners cut there, knowing what they're doing at Shug's and, and knowing what we, you know, we, we had that same mindset. You know, if we're going to bring New York style bagels here, we might as well pay the extra money up front to make sure that the water is the same pH balance. We might as well kettle boil them like they do in New York. We might as well buy an oven that's made just for bagels. Like we have thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of just niche equipment that's only made for making bagels. Like there's literally, we have a former in there that's probably $15,000 that forms bagels 
It is the only thing you can use it for. You could not repurpose that for anything right. other than making bagels. And we didn't spare the expense to buy it because we knew that it would make us more successful in the long run. That's excellent. And kind of going back to, to what we were talking about is like every small step that we take is going to end up getting us closer to that goal that we want to. And, and right. making those, you know, making sure that we're buying, you know, the same flour that, that his favorite bagel shop in New York is buying and, and making sure that we're shipping in our smoked salmon from the same smokehouse in Brooklyn, New York. You know, salmon making, was really good, by the way. It was excellent. We're super happy with it. Yeah, it's super good. It's re yeah, we're, we, we really love it. It's... um. Not a great margin item for us because it's so expensive, but, but. <laughs> it's worth it. It is worth it. It's um, it's a great product, and and like I said, it's it's a, in terms of local, it was it was kind of in my neighborhood up in Brooklyn when I was living there. Um, great smokehouse, and it's something that's been around for a long, long time. And right. you know, like I said, we're bringing in the products that we've that we want to have there, and and we want to bring in the small things that make it as authentic as we can get it. And we don't really want it to be. Like they're New York style bagels, but it's not a New York style bagel shop. Mm. You know, we're still Southerners. Like we're right. still, you know, we're still Texans. Or I am. Yeah, you had a picture not. of President yeah. George Bush. In exactly. There. Yeah, we got a big, yeah, yeah, big picture of that. And and had a cowboy. No, yeah, he had a bagel. Yeah, he's riding. A, he's riding. There's a cowboy riding a bagel. That's what it was. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's a cowboy riding a bagel. Yeah, we've we've got a lot of we've got a lot of things in there that that make it feel more at home. Texas, yeah. But the bagel itself is pretty New York. It's yeah. it's about as New York as you can find outside of the tri-state area. But I've just I feel so blessed to have the opportunities that I do to 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 get back here and and to build relationships that I've built, um, you know, with the two other business owners and, and the other investors and then with my girlfriend now. Like, I'm just I I love knowing that things are just working the way that I didn't know I wanted them to. If that mm -hmm. makes sense, you right. know, like when I was when I was working at the best restaurant in the world, I didn't think things for me as a chef could get much better. Lo and behold, here I am six months later, you know, as a small business owner of a very, you know, an incredibly successful business with, with a girlfriend that I love dearly. And, and just the, the doors that it's continued to open for me, I didn't expect to have open, but I'm so glad they didn't. Yeah. I'm so glad they did. I'm, I'm so fortunate for the path that he's put me on. And, and I just feel, I just feel so, you know, I'm, I'm counting bless, blessings that I didn't even think I would, I would ever have. Right. Um, and it's just, it's been a really cool venture for me and, and we're just getting started. You know, we've been open for a month and, and we're still ironing out some of the kinks and it was built for scalability and we plan on opening more, but just to get this thing up and off the ground when we did and, 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 and how successful it's been over the last couple of weeks is just, it's been such a rewarding process to be a part of. And, yeah. and I couldn't, I couldn't be more grateful for, for just the way that things have played out for me. Right. Yeah. One thing that we were talking about before we started recording was, uh, you know, you go from having, you know, 11th and Madison Park being a place where there's everything is controlled, right? Even sure. down to like the, the temperature of the water glasses yeah. and like everything and whatnot. Then you come here and every, there's not a whole lot of control. Like you, I, you, even when you opened up, uh, opened up shop, like you had to close unexpectedly because your oven broke. Yeah, the oven broke. And so like, how have you managed going from, you know, from tr basically from everything being controlled to now just trusting the process and going, you know, kind of a day at a time, if you will. I, I think that that's, I think that's what I've struggled with most not just not just over the last couple of months, but just I, I think it's kind of been a reoccurring theme in, in, in my life in terms of personal growth as well. I, I, I've, um, you know, I've always wanted to have control of whatever I was doing and, and whatever, you know, relationship I was in or, or whatever, you know, interest I had at that time. Um, and I, I much like my, you know, much like the restaurant tries to pursue like a perfect dish. I wanted to be, you know the perfect son, the perfect, you know, athlete, the perfect student, the perfect boyfriend. 
Um, and I wanted to try and control all of those things. And I think the control that I tried to put on them ended up hurting me. In the, well, I know it did. It hurt me in the long run and it, and it hurt my personal growth. And, and it went from trying to control things. And then if they were out of my control, I, I started, you know, exaggerating and embellishing on things to make them seem like they still were in my control and those embellishments and, and um, those, those, those kind of, I, just, I, 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 I kept catching myself in, in lies that I would, I would kind of set myself up for failure with trying to control a situation that was obviously out of my control. Mm. It ended up hurting, you know, relationships with friends and, and significant others. And, and I've made so many mistakes trying to exaggerate and, and trying to make it seem like I was in control um, that in fact it just helped me lose almost all of it. And in terms of business owning and in terms of like being back here, when I left New York, I felt so out of control of, you know, I had no idea what was next. The relationship that I had back there, I, you know, I, I, with, with friends and with colleagues and with, with other chefs, those relationships were all put on hold because they were all struggling with their own personal battles of, you know, what's next, what, what's the industry going to look like. So I lost contact with all of the people that had been a constant in my life for the last couple of years. And then coming back here, I had no idea what I was going to do. I had no idea how long fine dining was going to be shut down for. Um, I had no control of anything in my life, and it, it, was, it was a really tough thing for me to, to try and grasp. But much like trying to find the perfect dish, or much like trying to, to you know, be closer to becoming perfect, it's just one step at a time. And mm -hmm. I think gaining control of one little thing every day helped me get back on track. And, and getting back on track has led me to these opportunities. And like it, it's just kind of something that I've had to learn to deal with that... I can't control, I mean, looking at it, I mean, I can't control anything. Right. I, I'm, I'm, it's, not, it's not my control to have. It's something right. that I have to succumb to the plan that he has for me. And, and it's taken me a long time to come to terms with that. And I've always grappled with it. But, but I, now that I see how successful and, and how fruitful things can be if I relinquish that control to him, I mean, it's been invaluable. Like I, I wouldn't have had these opportunities if I didn't give control to God. Like I just, I right. wouldn't have had, wouldn't have had that opportunity right. and just the way that things have played out. Like I said, I never would have guessed, but I couldn't be more thankful for, Yeah, you know, looking at it now, like I, I'm glad I'm not working service at 11 Madison park right now. Sure. You know, I've got a great relationship with somebody that I love dearly and the friends that I've been able to make along the way, you know, having you here talking about this and, and being able to do this podcast and talk about things that, that I've, I've, you know, struggled with and things that I've been fortunate to do and see, I never would have had these opportunities if, COVID didn't hit if the restaurant right. had shut down if I didn't have to move home um, and looking back on it the out of you know the uncomfortability that I felt feeling like I was so out of control the way that I feel now I, I've never felt more control of, of my own kind of path and, and and I just I trust the process that he has for me and I and I I, I love it I, I, I feel I haven't felt this good in a long time and I think relinquishing that control is is what's gotten me to this point yeah, man. Praise God. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I love that. It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's interesting to look back with benefit of hindsight and be like, wow, this happened, that happened. It's like, wow, that seemed super scary and whatnot, but it takes trusting in God, in God as yeah, well. Yeah, and, and, like, and, and I'd, be, I'd be lying if I said I, I still don't have major concerns. Oh, and I, sure. You know, that's inevitable. That's always going to be it's something. part of life, right. But just the way, that I, the way that I face it head on now, knowing that the path that he has me on is the right path, regardless of whether or not it looks like that. I just got to trust it. I've got to trust the process. I have to trust what he has planned for me. Um, that it's, that it's, that it's, you know, 
I'm, I'm headed the right direction. Right. I've just got to trust that. I've got to believe it. You're in good hands. You yeah, know, exactly. It's got your best interests yeah. in mind. I mean, my goodness. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. I agree. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been tough and, and, and it still is. I don't, I don't know when fine dining will ever return. Cause that's, you know, that's obviously what I want to get back to. I'm, I'm fortunate to be, to be the small business owner here now, but, but I, I, I have the opportunity to kind of travel and, and go where I want to and continue cooking at this level while still maintaining my ownership of the bagel shop here. And, and I want to get back to fine dining, but who knows when that's going to be. And I struggle with that. But like I keep saying, I, I just have to, I have to be, I have to embrace the uncomfortability. Right. I have to, I have to be okay with being uncomfortable mm. and um, I have to be okay. Not being out of control, but not having control. Right. Cause I've got to realize that it's not mine to have. Right. And, and, and I think that's tough, especially after, working at 11 Madison Park and, and, and kind of having the, the upbringing that I did is, is I always tried to control the situation that I was in and we were expected to be in control of our stations and of our ingredients and of our dishes and, and, and of our timelines and making sure that the dishes that we put up were perfect and we were supposed to have control of every aspect of our job title at 11 Madison Park. Um, coming from that and then, and then losing all of it is something that, that was tough. But like I said, I just have to embracing that uncomfortability is, is something that, that, that would only benefit me going forward. It's the only thing I can do. Right. That being said, why is getting uncomfortable and you know discomfort, if you will, so necessary for our growth? Then? I just think it's, you know, I think you just learn what works and what doesn't in right. terms of growth. Yeah. I think it just helps you find things that work for you. Everybody's different. You know, everybody, same thing with, you know, the taste that we talked about, you know, you might like things saltier. What, what, what might work for me in terms of becoming a better person or becoming the guy and the kind of guy that I want to be, the steps that I might need to take might not be the right steps that you do. Right. And I think being okay with, with learning from what works and what doesn't kind of going back to the failures that we talked about being okay to fail, I think is the same thing with being uncomfortable. And right. I think you get, I think I feel, I mean, I know for a fact, I feel super uncomfortable when I, when I fail or when, when something doesn't go the way that I want it to. And I think in terms of personal growth, that's the only way to find out what works and what doesn't is right. being uncomfortable with, with the failures that you make Absolutely. and learning from them. Well, one thing I love is that you've been able to see opportunity in adversity, right? Especially when it comes to, you know, starting and being a new business owner and all this kind of jazz. How do, but how do you, how do you look for opportunity in adversity though? I didn't look for it. I, I, I it, it found me. Mm -hmm. I, I never, you know, like I said, I, when I got back to Dallas, and when I felt like I had so little control over anything in my life, the ownership of Shugs, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't go online and like Google small business opportunities. Sure. My sister called me and was like, Hey, like, you know, they're baking bagels today. You want to go taste a New York bagel? And like, yeah, I would, yeah, I'd love to I, I, you sure. know, miss bagels. I never expected Justin to be like, well, you know, we're looking for another investor. Do you have any interest? Mm. That opportunity only arose because I was furloughed, because New York shut down, because I moved back home, right. because my sister met Justin when she did, because he had the opportunity to open, and, and I wasn't seeking it. it. It it just kind of fell in my lap. And like I said, I, I if I was trying to control the situations, I don't think I would have had the opportunity to to meet somebody like Justin and, and to yeah. be a part of this business and be a part of this venture. It just it just so happened to find me. Well, you might have been in a mindset too that's just like, oh, woe is me and everything. And oh, I absolutely stuff was. Happening. Yeah. But you didn't have that kind of mindset. Yeah. I mean, if not, you might have you might have told your sister, "No, I'm I'm good." Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to remind myself of what I'm missing in New York. Right. You know? Right. But like, yeah. I don't know. I, I had to. I just kind of, like I keep saying, I had to embrace that uncomfortability, and and I think mm -hmm. doing so has has opened 
way more doors for me than it's closed. Right. But but I never, I don't think I I don't think I saw the opportunity. I think it just kind of the path that he set me on has kind of gotten me to where to where I am. Right. What do um What do you want to accomplish with your life? I want to own a restaurant before I'm thirty. I want to uh, I want to open a restaurant before I'm thirty. One that you're not an investor in, but one that you made. Yeah, yourself. I want to I want to I want to have my own restaurant that I've designed that I wrote a menu for. Maybe maybe you know. Before all of this, before all of this COVID started, it was thirty. But now that just the way that the restaurant climate has kind of um, been reshaped, I, I don't think thirty is attainable. But I do want to have I do want to have my own property that I'm super proud of. I, I have learned so much in terms of of food development and, and just kind of flavors that I love and, and textures that I like. I've learned so much over the years in traveling and, and just working with some of the best chefs in the world. Like I know the kind of restaurant that I want to open. I know the kind of food that I want to serve. I have a menu written. I know kind of what area I want to open it up in. It's just about timing right now. And I, I think that that's something that like we keep talking about. It was something that I wanted to try and control. You know, even right now, I've, I, you know, when I told you that I want to open it before I'm 30, I can't control that. I wanted to, you know, and saying, I want to, you know, I, I said that so, so assured, you know, I, I you know, want to open a restaurant before I'm 30, right. you know, hearing myself say that that's probably not going to be attainable just because of the way that the restaurant climate is being reshaped. And I have to, you never know. Yeah. Open a bagel shop. True. So. That's uh, you know, not the kind of restaurant that I want to retire in, of course, you know, sure. but, but it is, it is a great opportunity, but I, I would like to own a, I would like to own a restaurant. Um, and I, and I, I'd like to do so fairly quickly. I'd like to open it with, with people that I've met along the way. There are a lot of really great cooks that I would love to have come work with me. Um, and I want to try to find a way to, to kind of make an impact in the restaurant industry. I, I, I want to do something, you know, I look at some of the influential people that have kind of reshaped American cuisine and, and just what's kind of brought us to the forefront of, of some of the best restaurants in the world. Some of the chefs that I've, I've really looked up to, um, Dan Barber, who, who runs a restaurant, Blue Hill Stone Barn up in New York. Um, he does some really incredible stuff just in terms of like bringing back vegetables to their original form, you know, getting rid of these, these, um, what the pesticides? Yeah, just these like? crazy modified like vegetables and, and and just crap that's out there now that's just been so adulterated, adulterated and just like so manipulated that it's com- it's so far from the original. You know, carrots aren't supposed to be bigger than your thumb, but you get carrots the size of baseball bats now. Like, it's crazy to think about how far they've come from what they originally were planned to to be tasted like. And mm-hmm. and I think what he's done for that, and like what a chef named Sean Brock he used to work in. Um, in a restaurant in Charleston that I, I still think is incredible. It's called Husk. He brought back grains, um, ancient grains that, that have been raised the same way for thousands of years. And that's what he started making his breads and pastas and polentas and grits with. And, and being able to reconnect to, to his roots is something that I think is inspiring. And, and I'd like to be able to do something that, that people can, you know, talk about on a podcast 30 years from now and be like, yeah, like, you know, what, what, that chef Preston from Dallas did. I think that was just so cool. Like I just, I, I learned so much from watching him and listening to him talk and like hearing, you know, reading the books that he's written, you know, I, I'll probably never do any of that, but I want to be able to try to make some kind of impact on the industry that I love so much and that shaped me as much as, as it has so far. Yeah, you definitely will. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I want to be, so I think right, yeah, I, right I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep, clawing for perfection even though i know it's not attainable i still want to shoot for it right 
So I love that. So you want to open up your own restaurant. You just said you possibly even be an author as well. I mean, I'd, I'd love to. I, I think I'm, I, I've seen so many things. I've been fortunate to do so much that there's no reason for me to start trying to find a way to get these things written down, whether it's, uh, you know, a blog or, or, or just, you know, some, some kind of, just some kind of written expression, I think is something that I'd, I'd really like to get into. Yeah. That's excellent. Man. Yeah. Why, uh, why do you think you're so driven in your life then? I mean, there's obviously, you're obviously the type A personality, get things done kind of thing. What For do you sure. Think that is? Yeah. I, um, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think that, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know why I'm so driven. I, I have, you know, I've got a family that I love dearly. I've got so many people that are rooting for me that are in my corner that I've got, I, I don't know. I just don't want to let them down. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I want to be able to, to make those people that care about me, that love me, that support me. I want to make them all proud. Um, and I think that's, that's really one of the things that drives me most is, is just being able to, to be, be that person for somebody. You know, I've got right. a, my youngest sister, I, I love to death and she really looks up to me and, and being able to, to make her proud. It's like, you know what, what gets me out of bed in the morning and like right. being able to, to do something that eventually she'll look back on me like, wow, that's really, really cool that he was able to do that. Like, you know, my youngest sister, Grace has no idea what kind of food I've been cooking for the last year and a half. Sure. She doesn't know what a langoustine is, you know, she has no idea what I'm, she has no idea what I'm talking about. Up like, until about an hour ago, yeah, exactly. I didn't either. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but like she's, she's got no clue what I, you know, what I'm talking about and, and sure. the kind of food that I cook. She has, you know, she's tasted flavor she's never tasted before. But like, I wanted to look back on that and be like, "That's really cool that he was able to do that for me growing up." And That's like, he was able to show me yeah. that and and teach me about these things. And like, I don't know. It's just I, I want to make the people that that care about me and support me proud, mm. um, regardless of of what way that is. And I, I think it's, I think it's 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 changed so much in terms of what I think that has to be. I know growing up, like I, you know, what, what I thought was the perfect person or, or the perfect example or the perfect brother or the perfect cook or the perfect boyfriend. I think that, I think my perspective on that has changed so often and changed so many times. And it's just kind of what's, there are a lot of things that, that have fallen into fashion and fallen out of fashion in terms of what I really hold dear and, and what I want to um, prioritize in terms of what I want to be able to deliver. Those, those continue to change so often. Um, but it's just, you know, it's the same thing with food, you know, tastes and flavors and, and techniques are always changing. It's just whether or not they work in a certain time and place. And, and it's something that I, I need to figure out is, is right now in a climate like this, what can I do to be the best boyfriend? What can I do to be the best brother or the best son or the best right. business owner? Um, something that just continues to change. And it's something that I'll always struggle with is trying to find that perfect version of myself. Sure. Something that I'm always going to have to work for but it's something I'm, I know that I'm never going to be able to attain. Yeah. One thing that I love that you mentioned that made, just made me think of it when you said that, because you, know, you have a bunch of people that are believing in you and that are cheering you on and such. Conor McGregor, he was being, being interviewed by uh, Tony Robbins um, okay. a while back, I don't know, sometime last year. I yeah. Think. And he said, a lack of commitment is a, is a sign of disrespect to everyone who believes in you. Yeah, I feel that. And I'm yeah. like, dude, that is so true. Yeah, I you absolutely. Know? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And, yeah. and it, it's something that, that uh, I've always tried to dedicate myself hundred percent to whatever, whatever I'm doing, whether that's, whether that's a relationship, whether that's me as a business owner, whether that's me as a cook or a brother or a son or a football player or a student, regardless of what I'm doing, I try to dedicate hundred percent to myself because I, I don't feel like, I feel like I'd be, you know, not, not only letting the people I love and care about down, but it's, you know, if I'm capable of giving hundred percent, why, why would I settle for giving anything less than that? Right. If I'm able to do it, why not? Right. I think it's kind of the mentality that I, I take to that. Yeah, I agree. 
What do, um, how do you define happiness then? I think much like taste, it's completely, it's completely dependent on that person. Hmm. I don't think there's a definition of happiness. I, I think that, I think that I, I also think that happiness is, is kind of ever changing. I think what makes me happy right now might not make me happy in 10 years. Sure. Or what might make me happy in 10 years might not make me happy now. Um, I think it's something that'll continue to change and I think it's something that's evolving and I think it's something that unlike perfection, I think it is attainable and I think it's something that everyone strives for and finding it looks different for other people, but I don't have a definition for it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what happiness is. I know what makes me happy now. Um, I know that, that the relationship that I'm in, I know that the business that I own, the career path that I've taken all makes me really, really happy. But those things might not have made me happy two years ago. I don't know if I would have been happy being back in Dallas six months ago. Right. But here I am and I haven't been this happy in a really long time. That's excellent. I love what uh, John Maxwell talks about. He's, he was talking, was in a, I think it was either, I think it was that book Today Matters or maybe it was a different um, 20, I'm not really sure. Anyways, it was something that John Maxwell was sharing and he was talking about one time he was in a conference and his wife was speaking. So he was sitting in on her session and this lady raises her hand as a Q&A. This lady raises her hand, asks his wife, Margaret, you know, does John make you happy? And, you know, of course, John's like, you know, I've, I'm a very attentive husband. I love <laughs> Margaret dearly. And I figure what kind of praise she would lavish on me. Right. So she, uh, Margaret gets the question. She goes, does John make me happy? She considered. And then she goes, no, he doesn't. And so and John good luck, <laughs> looks around. He's like, man, I look to see where the nearest exit was. And so Margaret went on to say, you know, hey, John's a great husband. He loves me dearly. He said, however, that's not John's job to make me happy. That's my job. It's my responsibility. Sure. It's like happiness is a choice for every person, you know, and you have to kind of, like you said, it's true. It's subjective. Like, you know, whatever, yeah, absolutely happiness is something that you decide on for yourself. Yeah. And ultimately it's like, okay, well you can either choose to be happy or you can choose not to be. And you got to make it, e- got to make also, I feel like you got to make it easy for yourself to be happy too. You know, like you wake up above ground. Yeah, you've you've got to be open you know? to it. You know, you, you, you've got to be open to, to finding happiness in, in areas you might not think you could find it in. Right. And, yeah. and I think that, that it also kind of goes back to me trying to relinquish control to, to the greater being and, and to the God that I believe in. Right. I think relinquishing control to him is, is going to allow me to, to open different avenues and, and venues of, of finding that happiness. Right. And you've got to be open to it. You know, if you, if you, I think it's also, it, it has a lot to do with, you know, like settling on things and, and settling mm-hmm. for, for what you have instead of, you know, things might be difficult, things might be tough. Um, but the end goal, if the end goal is, is getting you closer to, to that, to that ultimate happiness, you've got to be open to that discomfort and that, and that you've got to be okay with the uncomfortability. Yeah, I agree. Well, dude, we're about to, this has been a great conversation, man. Yeah. We're about to wrap this up. Is there anything that you wanted to, to add to, uh, to, to the show for you? No, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful for the opportunity. I, I've, I've really loved this and, and yeah, have loved what you guys have been doing for, for, you know, how, how many episodes is now? 90 something? Uh, 90. So by the time this one comes out, it'll be over a hundred. So yeah, we God, just released insane. 96 yesterday. No, we released 96 on Saturday. So. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm super fortunate to, to, to have the opportunity to, to get my story out there yeah, and man. kind of share my struggles and share my successes. And, and, and hopefully somebody that listens is, uh, is inspired by it. I, w- I would love to help any any cooks out there that are looking to looking to get into the industry. I'd, I'd love to be able to help in any way that I can. Um, and just yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I, I really I really enjoyed this. Yeah, my was, pleasure. Yeah. We'll have to have you back on again several yeah. years down. So after you've you know open opened, my own restaurant. Yeah, dude, yeah, I'd I'd love absolutely. That. It'd be great. We'll call it you know was it a culinary with pains or I don't know. I was trying to think of something. We'll think of something as <laughs> clever as, as as clever as the bagel puns. We'll get there. 
I was trying to think of something that rhymed with like some food term that rhymed with pain, but I couldn't. Nothing came to mind. So. I, I'm sure I could think of. Some, I'd, have, I'd have to get out the culinary cookbook, but um, I'm sure we could think of something. Pain's prosciutto or something. So, yeah, something something like that yeah, might work. There we go, yeah, something less yeah, cheesy. We, yeah, we could find something. Hey. Should be easy. Oh, there you go. We'll do before we wrap this up. I just wanted to acknowledge you for a second. I think it's amazing the level of drive and just dedication to your craft and wanting to just live your life to the fullest every day. It's been really awesome, especially at 27 having the just, I don't know, focus that you have is really special. And I know the level of happiness that you brought Chandler has been incredible. And that likewise for yourself has been really amazing to see. And just the, just being open to just new things coming into your life, just like Shug's in the transition with COVID and everything. It's been really awesome to see and just, you know, getting, I've enjoyed getting to meet you recently as well. And I'm just excited to see like what the next step that God has for your life. And it's going to be really awesome to get a first, get a first seat to get a front seat to see it happen and play out over the years, man. It's going to be awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate yeah. that. My pleasure. Dude. Yeah. I appreciate right, that. So final two questions. If you listen to the podcast, you yep. know, two questions that we ask every guest in the podcast. First question is how does someone chase their potential to become the person they were created to become? I think that, like, you know, I've, I've said it a bunch of times. I think you have to be okay with the letdown and disappointment. And just the way that you learn from them is the only way you're going to be able to get to that. Right. I agree. I agree. Well, final question, man. What is living a life that makes a positive impact look like for you? It's one of the most important driving factors in my life. I think being able to inspire others and, and being able to find a way to continue to do so is something that really means a lot to me just because of, of the impact that a lot of people have made on my life. I just want to be that kind of person for somebody else somewhere along the road. That's awesome, man. Very cool, dude. Well, hey, where can... Uh where can people connect with you online? Where can they find more about Shugs or you know connect with you personally? Sure. So we are we're still working on the Shugs website right now. Still kind of trying to figure out what we're looking for. Perfect. Um, but on Instagram would be great. You can follow me at Chef. It's two underscores, B O Y A R one underscore P. So Chef Boy R P <laughs> on Instagram, and uh, it's Preston Payne on Facebook. Uh, both of those ways are, are great, great ways to get a hold of me. Um, I'd love to connect with anybody out there that, that has any questions about the path that I've chosen and, and uh, what I've been doing for the last couple of years. That's excellent, man. Well, dude, Preston, thank you so much for coming on the Qualified, man. Pleasure having you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the episode. What'd you think? Tell you what, man, I enjoyed this episode so much. It was so fun just getting down to sit, sit, to sit down with him and listen to the attention to detail that went into excellence. But not only that, like his goals and his dreams and what he wants to pursue going forward. Like the title of the podcast is giving 100% in life. And that's what I hope that you garner from this. Like you can do so much more with your life. He's got to demand more from yourself. Believe in yourself. And not only do that, not only that, Follow through on the promises you make to yourself. That's how you make, that's how you build the confidence. You're qualified for it. You're worthy of it. Take action today. Y'all, I hope this left you inspired. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, again, please share the show, pay the fee, and check out Qualified Apparel as well to change more lives, inspire more happiness, and make a difference as well. You guys, I will talk to you soon. Until then, chase your potential and live a life that makes a positive impact. Have an amazing day.